Corey. Hey, Rachel. <laughs> Welcome. I'm trying to start different oh, this time. I'm okay. Trying. Welcome to... To side talks. Like, I think I should do some, and then oh you, God. like, I go, this like, is, I go, this like... This is going super well. I go, welcome <laughs> to, and then you go, side talks, do it. We, welcome we, to... Side talks. We're the... Podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where you were going. I love to take it off the rails right at the start. I'm glad that we're taping the rehearsal. I am Rachel Morgan, and I am a, the creative director, I think, still. I don't know. Maybe after this podcast, not anymore, for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. Uh, I'm Corey Kraft. I am a programmer for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Sidewalk Film Center and Cinema. We're here to talk about movies. And again, the podcast name, get your pen out, is Side Talks. People need to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute. Round one. Fight. fight. Corey. Yes, Rachel. Five-minute fight. All right. I went ahead and got it out of the way so that you couldn't stop me. Yes, thank you. Thank so you for that. So five-minute, should I say it properly, a five-minute fight. Yes, we, we need to follow decorum here. Could you please start the timer? Awesome. What are we fighting about? We're fighting about Wes Anderson's The Darjeeling Limited. Yeah. Um, one of, now, pretty pretty indisputably, my least favorite film by one of my favorite working directors. A film that, as we established on a previous episode, you really, really like. I really, really like it. It's probably, it's it's maybe my, it's up there in the top three of my favorite Wes Anderson films. <sighs> I think it's really wonderful. Um, I saw it in the theater and it's preceded by, you know, a, the 15 minute short, yeah. which I'm sure you've seen too. I don't guess it really happens like that when you're watching it like on a streaming service. But no, but the Criterion Blu-ray preserves that. So, and that's Hot- Hotel Chevalier. Ch- yeah, Hotel Chevalier. Uh, everybody's always wanting me to speak French. Um, <laughs> anyway, it, I thought that that was a perfect prelude, uh, prelude to the film. And I, I just really like it. I, lo- I love the, um, you know, I, I thought it's really fun to look at. Now, here's the thing. This is what I think where I think people don't love it as much as some of the other stuff is it's not as precious. And that is part of why I do like it. It's a, it is a little clunkier. Um, the timing is a little, I would just call the timing is sometimes interesting, but I think it's a really sweet film. And I think it's a film with a lot of heart. Not that that's unusual for Wes Anderson, but, um, it it just has a little bit of a different vibe to it. And, you know, for somebody who, um, has run to catch many trains in my life, I just appreciate it. But did you shed your very literalized baggage while doing so? You know, at times, yes. At I, times. I, I, I don't really see this as any less precious than his other movies. It's precious in a different way. But what it does bring to the table that most of his other movies doesn't is that it's clumsy as hell. It's a little clumsy. It is a little clumsy. But not, I mean, you know, not maybe more than some of his other stuff. But again, I mean, part of, and I think I said this before, but I will say it again here. Part of the reason why, and it has been a long time since I've seen this. Yeah, I've seen me it. too. But part of the reason why I think I like this above and beyond some other Wes Anderson work is it is a little dirtier. It is a little, you know, I don't want to, maybe clunky is the wrong word, but it is it is a little less pristine and a little less sort of, you know, polished. And I like that because sometimes it just gets to be way too much. It's like, okay, we get it. You know how to break the rule of thirds. You know how to follow the rule of thirds. Look at that symmetry. I mean, it's great. Love it. Love it. Love it, Wes Anderson. But it is nice to see him do something a little bit different. A little. But for me, this is a work of his that that 
edges closer to self-parody than anything else he ever did. Really? Yeah. I mean, I hmm. even think that something like Moonrise Kingdom, which I know That's is what I would, that you would you would hold yeah. up as that. You know, he's he's drawing from like new wave camera style stuff in that it's he goes handheld. He gets a little rougher around the edges technically in a way that I don't see him doing in Darjeeling Limited. I also think that the screenplay um, is a little bit miscalculated as to sort of the level of sort of sympathy that he's able to draw for these kind of rich assholes who are his three protagonists. I knew that's where you were going to go with this. But like if you have a problem with rich assholes that are protagonists, then you have a problem with every Wes Anderson film. Well, so why would this be any different? Because I mean, he's that's not ridiculous. able to find, He walks a fine line in his other movies, Does though, in he? something like Tenenbaums. Because that doesn't look like a fine line to me. It, he, he's able to thread that needle that he doesn't do. He can't quite pull it off in Darjeeling Limited. Oh, I, this, is where I, this is where I will totally disagree with you. I think that that, I think that, that, that is a problem in all of his films. I'm not going to exclude this one. I'm simply going to mm. say that you can't you can't put this one in a different pile than I the others. I think you can because it's not done well. That's the only thing I would say. Uh, like, I'm, I disagree. I, I can sympathize with a rich asshole if the film is well done. I don't think that Darjeeling <laughs> Limited is. I you know I it brings to mind two other films. It brings to mind a film I really like, Noah Baumbach's Margot at the Wedding. Okay. And it brings to mind a film I really don't like, Sofia Coppola's Somewhere. Okay. And I think it falls sort of in between those two. When, you know, in those three movies were tarred with the same brush of being relentlessly unlikable. And they are. I mean, they are. But Baumbach is able to pull off this sort of very delicate high wire act aided in no small part by Nicole Kidman that I don't think Anderson or Coppola are able to do. Which one distract me by saying Nicole Kidman? Quit trying to distract me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, it's just not, it's just not good. It just falls flat. Visually, of course, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, because you know, it's Wes Anderson. Anytime I run for a train too, I wish it was happening with a really great score and in with slow like motion. With the kinks in the beautiful, background. Beautiful, beautiful. That's the self-parody that I... It's not. I mean, I think Moonrise Kingdom feels like an SNL skit of Wes Anderson's work. Ooh, I mean, that's fight, yeah. That's them that fighting words. Them's we're gonna fighting have to, words. We're going to have to schedule another five-minute fight on that. I'm happy to do that. Good God. Let me watch that, that, let me watch me, that SNL skit again my, and I'll get back to my you. My ears have just got... <laughs> really, really hot. <laughs> Sam, can you run in here in slow motion with a Rolling Stone song in the background, please? <sighs> One of the deeper cuts. Oh, very hot ears. Very hot ears. <laughs> Watch out. Don't get burned by Corey's <laughs> headphones. I can't believe Corey said that. This is his least favorite Wes Anderson film, which is kind of surprising. It is true that the metaphor is basically just hammered over your head. They're literally losing their baggage as they get off the train, and it couldn't be more obvious if they had a neon sign pointing saying, this is the metaphor right here. I think Corey gets some bonus points, like 50,000, for saying the phrase, I can sympathize with the rich asshole if the film is done well, even though, in my personal opinion, the film is done well. And the short before it, Hotel Chevalier, could be attached to any film, and it would be just as much, it would be loved just as much if it was, it could be Natalie Portman in any hotel bed with any type of shot, and people would still eat it up. Um, <laughs> And Jason Schwartzman is just kind of in the corner. And I totally agree with Rachel that it's less pristine and less polished than his other films, which I think makes me like it more. He's making just a film without it feeling like he's is making a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, it's the same rich asshole protagonist as his other films, but this one's done well, so it's better. Definitely better than Moonrise Kingdom, Corey. Rachel wins. <laughs> Woo! 
Yes. Better than Moonrise Kingdom. That's an empirically insane thing to say. <laughs> insane. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. Hey, Corey. Hey, Rachel. What are you watching? Okay. Well, let's just let's just go ahead and get it out there. Um, as of the recording, the biggest movie in the country, if not the world, is Todd Phillips' uh, gritty uh, early 1980s set reimagining the origin stories of The Joker, uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix as the failed stand-up comedian slash desperately mentally ill man who is pushed over the edge by a confluence of events to become DC Comics' uh, notorious supervillain. This is an R-rated, grim and gritty reimagining of the origins of this character. The film that everybody's talking the about. The film that everybody's talking about, and I don't want to talk about it long other than to say this movie's just trash. I really don't like it. Um, it is a, a hollow facsimile, almost a counterfeit of, of Martin Scorsese's most famous works uh, from Taxi yeah. Driver to... The King of Comedy, which directly references by casting Robert De Niro in the role of a talk show comedian, a host. Um, Joaquin Phoenix lost a lot of weight. He contorts his body in Oscar. some weird angles. That means yeah, Oscar. that people are mistaking it for a good performance. Um, <laughs> he lost weight. You contorted. Yeah, You're a dude. It's, you get it. And, Prizes. you know. The level of difficulty, I imagine, is is high for something like that, but it feels to me just like unfocused, you know, I'm going to turn the camera on and whatever feels like super edgy to you, just do it, man. And in the edit, we'll assemble all of that to something that feels really unbalanced, but it never feels real. Yeah. It's going for real. It never feels that way. Um, it's torn between the Scorsese influence and the comic bookness of it all uh, to become something akin to... What a 14-year-old, like, goth kid might scrawl in the margins after reading something like Alan Moore's The Killing Joke or something sure. like that. I, I really just kind of loathed it. Um, yeah, it's going to win some Oscars, I guess, because, Maybe. you know, like the Joker says, society is just trash and, and look at, you know, look at how everything is going. Um, I haven't anyway. seen it. I have not seen it. Um I am a little annoyed by the trailer. It's so annoying. I will. I will see it. I will see it. Um, I I've definitely been interested in, in how many people have come out as like this is an important film. Everyone should see this film. Stop everything you're doing. I mean, I'm granted there are some people who are like this is the the biggest pile of shit that's happened in a long time. I mean, I see that too. But I've also seen a lot of people who are just like drop everything you're doing and go see this film. It's important. And I, that I'm like really. I mean, I haven't seen it yet, so how can I – I can't really weigh in. But it seems like I don't think we need to drop everything we're doing and go see it. I don't no. I don't feel that. In fact, pick up more things to prevent you from going to see yeah. it. No, I, I don't know. It's it's just dark enough so that people mistake it for having things to say. Sure. It's, I it, hate when that happens. It's, you know, what if the social safety net fails a person? Like, okay, yeah, he's seen a social worker. Con funding gets cut. Like, great. Um, what if – you know, he has a history of abuse and mental illness and violence. Like, okay, you're you're presenting all of these scenarios and not saying anything with them. <laughs> um, and that's just what the movie is. It just feels like e an echo of far, far better things. And, sure. And, I, you know, I didn't want this movie to begin with. I kind of saw where the winds were blowing. Um, 
I, I hope to enjoy it, but when I saw it, I mean, it is every bit as irritating as the trailer makes it seem with the ironic sort of needle drops of, like, any song you can think of that has the word clown in it or smile or laughing or any, you know, it's just all that Damn, shit. I needed that for our clown playlist. Yeah, I well, should have seen it. Yeah, that would have been a help. So what are you watching? Oh, well, you know, I'm back on The mass Singer. I'm back on The mass Singer. <laughs> Is this really that far of a step from the Joker? No. I mean, isn't it just proof that society is falling apart? Um, I mean, I don't know what to do with myself now that ice cream and egg are both gone. Rest in peace. (laughs) They both got kicked off so quickly. (laughs) Um, And that sucks because ice cream, I thought ice cream should have stayed on. Ice cream did a really great Old Town Road. Um, (laughs) Cowboys and cowgirls dressed up two-stepping. And so that was bullshit that happened. Um, other than that, I'm watching. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I could go on for hours, days, really, about the mask. This is going to so gradually turn into a mask yes. singer podcast As that nobody fact, will notice it. So much so that, cool, that's our, that's our, um, that's our other podcast we have. It's called The Mask Singer sings um and Corey just stood up like robin thick and is snapping his fingers oh my god um, i don't have that blank of a look on my face <laughs> you don't have that much botox <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, but to, but i mean that is real this is real i'm not joking but to go on to a more serious note um i am watch i watched a film called the kingmaker which i hope by the time oh, cool yeah by the time that this podcast is released i'm hoping that we will have uh, announced that we are going to be screening it at the cinema awesome. it's really really good it is the imelda marcos doc by the um the the director um the woman who directed queen of versailles yeah yeah and it is it is pretty darn exceptional um, it is a, it is a, you know, it's a little bit too long. I'm not mm-hmm. going to fault her for that because um, every film this year, every film this year has been too long. So what can we do? Um, I mean, almost every film, not The Nightingale, but you know, every other film other than The Nightingale has been too long this Joker year. Joker is two hours too long. Oh damn, smack. Um, anyway, this is the Melda Marcus doc, and yes, you know, get this out of the way. She talked about the shoes. Get over the shoes, y'all. Um, what she also did, in case you didn't know, was import freaking an entire basically an entire island full of exotic animals um because she thought they were beautiful and um with no thought to what that means for the animals no thought to what that means for the 250 people that were displaced um and boy oh boy as you might guess things go really wrong when you just go to other countries and pick their animals up and bring them to your own um, and so there's, that's just one example of some of the crazy stuff she did. Of course, there's also just clearly dozens and dozens of people that she had murdered. Um, so there's that, too. And then um, her family is, uh, you know, getting back into power. Right. And, um, you know, there's clearly connections to they're dr- clearly drawing some parallels to what we're dealing with in this country. And it's just a really compelling doc. Um, her ego is such that she is all in on this film. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, do you want to, you know, do you want to see her literally showing off her Picassos and her that she claims that she doesn't have any more that come down anytime they come by to try to confiscate them? She'll show those to you in this film hmm. <laughs> and then turn around and be like, no, we don't have those. Um, and so all of that is just, you know, it's it's like watching a, a, a train wreck, um, but like a really terrifying train wreck that, you know, you're standing right in the middle of the tracks for. So. Yeah. Um, anyway, highly recommended. Really good. Uh, can't wait to see what you think. I'm excited to see it. I've I've been excited to see it for a while, and I'm happy to hear that. Fingers crossed, we might be getting it at the yeah, cinema for sure. All and right. so that's what I'm watching. And now, fast film terms. Say it really quick. <laughs> no, you got to say the actual <laughs> words. 
<laughs> now no. people are going to think this is the lightning round again. No, I, I said it very, very, very quickly. You just couldn't discern oh, each gotcha. word. Okay, fast film terms. Can Batwell slow that down? <laughs> I just did your work for you. Okay, so I got one for you, okay. English teacher. All right. This is a Riley. Do you know what a Riley is? No, I don't. Okay, so it is in script writing. A Riley is a um, it's basically a parenthetical. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're called in the industry when you're writing a script and you put a, a, something in parenthetical. So it's almost like a stage direction that goes along with dialogue. Ooh, watch out. Because here's yeah. the thing about Riley's. Actors and directors tend to not love them. Yeah. Um, you need to use them very sparingly when you're writing a screenplay. And part of the reason why is because your job as a writer is not to direct. Sure. Uh, and so actors, if it's a parenthetical that's like says it in a very angry tone, you know, in an angry tone or what, if you start getting really, you're trying to sneak some direction there and the actors are like, well, don't tell me how my character's supposed to feel right here. I know how I'm supposed to feel right here. Um, and so you use them spa- sparingly. Yeah. Okay. Riley. Makes sense. Yeah. All right, let's go. Big, big bucks. Today's my day. Let's go. Big bucks. No whammies. No whammies. Big bucks. Big bucks. Here we go. What do you hear in the distance? I, I hear the sound of thunder. This <laughs> might mean it's time for the filmmaker lightning round. <laughs> That's more like Look a, at me doing like a, like a Star Wars, Like a Star Wars thing. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it. I can't do thunder with my mouth. I mentioned um, before or possibly after, depending <laughs> on how the editing shakes out here. Who cares? Um, that uh, this week I was watching Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, so let us talk about the the master filmmaker, Stanley Kubrick. I kind of can't believe that we haven't already yeah. done this in a lightning round. But of course, Kubrick, bring it, bring it, bring it. Keeping him in Asked. our back pocket. What's a movie of Stanley Kubrick's that you love? Come on. Come on. <laughs> the Shining is great. We all know it. I don't need to spend another second talking about it. It's really, really brilliant. As a kid, it scared the shit out of me. It took me. I, and when I say kid, I was like, this is probably my first encounter with this film was when I was seven years old, eight yeah. years old, yeah. staying up late and watching it on HBO. And it probably took me four or five sittings to get to, to try to get through this thing. And I finally got I mean, it was just absolutely terrifying. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, the protagonist is a kid and, and you know, um, one that was, you know, kind of similar to my brother's age at the time, probably. And anyway, it was just a great film and it was really horrifying. And, you know. I love I it's it's wonderful it's yeah. absolutely wonderful um and then it provoked me as a you know as a fairly young you know elementary school and going into junior high school kid probably to pick up the shining and try to read it and it took me three school years to, to get through the book but I did get through it um you know I, that's how I mean how can you argue with that I mean you know that that I can't argue with that is that your favorite Kubrick? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's in my too. top 10 favorite films of all time, and it's certainly my favorite Kubrick film. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just it, – it, ma- it, is, it is a masterpiece. There's so much going on there. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, it's it, – did this film get made on, on fair terms? No. Could this film get made today? No. No, not in the same way. Um, but, I mean, it, it does it, it does bring up the question of, like – how much torture or torment goes into a masterwork and that is a scary question to ask yeah yeah but um anyway it's you know and i highly recommend if anybody hasn't seen it the the vivian kubrick documentary it's a 30 40 minute short documentary on the film which is i I revisit every couple of years Mm -hmm. just because it's crazy to sort of see behind the scenes on this thing um anyway yeah that's that's where i'm landing at the shining yeah well that would be my answer too 
Um, I love a lot of his other movies, but but The Shining is the one that I'll never sort of give up. Yeah. Um, what's a movie by him um, that you might not like as much as m- most people? So I'm going to say this, and um, surprisingly, a lot of stuff. Um, I, I, I'm not trying to take from Stanley Kubrick the fact that he's a genius, the fact that he's clearly, you know, was was an, you know, just a master at, at, at a craft. But there are films that I do not like, and he's I will, made at least two films that I straight up don't like either. Yeah. Well, this one is going to probably get you riled up, so get okay. ready to blow your top because I would say A Clockwork Orange. I and, totally agree. Oh, really? I was I, shocked. I, I don't like that film. It is a great film. Mm. It is a beautiful to look at film. I mean, it's immaculate in the way that all of his other stuff yes. is. Yes, and there's a lot of really cool stuff happening. Um, it is the it is so intensely mean spirited. I yeah. don't think that's wrong for the content. Do not do not mistake me. I think it's perfectly apropos for the for the content. But I do not like to watch it. It makes me very uncomfortable. I think um, I think it's a bit of a dangerous film in a lot of ways. Um, and I don't. I just. It's that thing where I'm like, I do not like the vibe of this film. I don't get along with this film. I don't want to see it when it comes on. I'm like, fuck you. Uh, it's provocations to me feel juvenile. Yeah, that too. I've always felt that way about that movie. I've never been able to get on its wavelength. Um, the other movie of his that I don't really like is Full Metal Jacket, which I yeah. think is, is one half of a pretty good movie and then one half of kind of something that meanders and doesn't really – come to a point for me. Sure. I have a very um, unique sort of connection with that particular film, but I don't like it either. Yeah. Um, You know, I I mean, there's no reason to go too far down that road, but I just, it is that it is a full, um, you know, yanks an audience back moment when we go from basically film A to film B. Right. Uh, and I don't – while I think that that's an interesting thing to do and perhaps, you know, sort of dealing a little bit in innovation maybe or, or testing some waters, I don't know that it works. No, I don't think it does. So, yeah, I, so I agree. He, I mean, he's one of the best filmmakers out there who's made a couple things that I just don't have much use for. I mean, I can respect them, but those two movies really, really try my patience, to be honest. Um, pretty much everything else yeah, I, I really like, but um, but those two in particular. What is what is a film by him that you think you might need to see again? Um, after seeing Film Worker, Barry Lyndon? Yeah, I've watched that a couple times in the past few years. Yeah, I just, having seen the documentary Film Worker um, and knowing, you know, the sort of process of having a little peek at the process of that, that being made, I was just like, oh, man, I need to I need to see that again, for yeah. sure, for sure. It's it's really, really something. It's gorgeous. It's so, yeah. so beautiful. Um, my answer to that would probably be Eyes Wide Shut. Um, yeah, well, the holiday season's coming. Yeah. Um, I feel like I, I feel like Eyes Wide Shut is, is always worth a viewing. Absolutely. And so I, I'm on I'm on the same page with you there. And I will also say that, you know, 2001 had a nice little run last year. So I did see it again. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a re-release. And so um, I feel like I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that movie's beautiful. Another really great 4K UHD, by the way. Um, and I, I've seen that movie so many times. I saw that movie so many times as a teenager. I don't feel the need to go back to that. But I've only seen 
Eyes Wide Shut, I think, once or twice, and it was a long time ago. Yeah, it's a so great film. I, I really want to go back to that, especially on the occasion of its 20th anniversary All this right. year. Holiday season, um, 20th anniversary. Sounds like something we may need to try and screen. Hey, you know I'm all about that. but Holiday you know, fun, Eyes Wide Shut. Sure. I mean, there would be, there would be a contingent <laughs> of people who would come to that. One hundred percent. I bet we can sell ten tickets to that at the holiday season. And I'll buy I am, one. I will buy one of them. I'll buy one. I, I've been intending to sit down and watch that for a while, but I remember really, really liking it, and I remember that kind of being a controversial stance. Really? Yeah. I guess. I guess its reputation has sort of increased over time, but I think I don't think it was in incredibly well received even amongst the Kubrick diehards hmm. initially. I don't have that memory but then again I maybe I'm you know not me- remembering correctly well because so. your wife's in it so oh that's true I think you were is, you were all automatically going to be on board with it to a certain degree absolutely yeah so that's Stanley Kubrick. He's great. We didn't even mention Dr. Strangelove, which is one of the funniest movies ever made. And my, I think my dad's favorite film. Yeah, that's a good there. one. That's a good one. I've seen that movie a bunch of times. So, uh, yeah, it turns out we've not broken any new ground here. He's very good. Oh, next time around, we'll try to talk about somebody a little more obscure. Yeah, who would that be? Like, um, Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess technically literally any filmmaker is more obscure <laughs> Next to right. Stanley Kubrick. Right. So, Anybody else who's on the top 100 yeah, maybe greatest not directors like of all time. Steven Spielberg. He, he might be the one. Uh, so we'll oh, put I don't him know. In. We should maybe talk about Steven Spielberg because that might be a little argument that we could have because oh, I could I could no. take down some Spielberg. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> and you well. know how I like to take down people's, like how I like to come at people's <sighs> idols. He's he's um he's great, but he's kind now, of an now I'm getting worried. Oh, boy. All right. Now I'm worried. Anyway, this was the Filmmaker Lightning Round. Ending really ominously for Steven Spielberg. (laughs) All right. Thanks. He's going to have me killed. (laughs) I'm coming right out of the gate. What's this shit? All right. Did you take your headphones off for that? No, no. I don't have. My hearing is shot anyway. It doesn't matter. It's done. Okay, so what is this shit? I am in the jump. I'm on the tread. I'm, you know, working out in quotes. And up on the screen, I'm super happy. That's your first clue. Okay. I'm really excited and happy about what I see, which is very rare. Okay. And you're going to know it right damn away. All right. All right. And so I'm going to take it in a little bit of a different direction here. But I am looking at the beautiful, gorgeous, smoky eye of one Kate Blanchett. Okay. So and they I'm put lo- on Carol at the gym. No, That's interesting. That would be super weird. And all. <laughs> I mean, I would like, I would stroke out right there and not because I was on the tread. Um. So, and then I see the beautiful smoky eye of uh, uh, Sandra Bullock. Oh, okay. So you know what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was really happy. So what film is it? It's Ocean's Eight. So all I had to do was name two of the actors in the film and mention Smoky Eye, and you got it. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, I I love this film. We've talked about this one before. We don't have to spend too much time on it, but you did get it. But I love the fact that um, clearly, and I just want to see your reaction to this. Clearly, 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 Kate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock's character is a couple. Mm-hmm. Like at some point, yeah. I can think they're like maybe exes, which I love that that read of the film. I, I wish there were anything else as interesting as that. In oh, okay. This is going to be a future argument because okay. I am really hardcore on board for this fucking movie. That 
that truly <laughs> astonishes me, but okay. I'll, we'll, we'll pencil it in for a future It argument. also has your stupid-ass girlfriend in it. Which, Anne Hathaway? Yes. She's the best part of the movie. Oh, she's the worst part of the movie. She's, she's the, best the most part. replaceable. Replace she's her with so any other actress. She's so funny in that movie. Oh, my God. She's so funny. Oh, I cannot wait to argue this with you because I, mean, I am going to win this. kind of already doing this. It, but, Yeah, but no. But no, okay. no, no. You don't even know what's coming at okay. you. I love this movie. <laughs> I had All the right. best time at this film. So we're just going to put a little pause on that. And that was What's the Shit? And we will revisit Ocean's 8. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today I'd like to talk about a film called The Deer Hunter. The Deer Hunter was released in 1979. It was directed and co-written by Michael Cimino. The Deer Hunter is an American epic war drama movie that tells the story of a trio of Russian-American steelworkers whose lives are changed forever after they survive the Vietnam War. The three soldiers are played by Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, and John Savage. The movie was based in part on an unproduced screenplay called The Man Who Came to Play, about Las Vegas and Russian roulette. Producer Michael Dealey, who bought the script, hired writer and director Michael Cimino, who, with Derek Washburn, rewrote the script, taking the Russian roulette element and placing it in the Vietnam War. The film also features John Cazale and his fiancée Meryl Streep in supporting roles. John Cazale was very ill when filming began, and because of this, his scenes were filmed first. Chimino knew that Cazale was dying of bone cancer, but the studio did not. When they found out, the studio refused to insure Cazale and demanded he be replaced. Robert De Niro stepped in to pay for Cazale's remaining treatments, and Cazale died immediately after filming was completed, with Meryl Streep by his side during his final days. Production on the film was incredibly difficult for the actors. De Niro and Savage performed their own stunts for the fall into the river filming the 30-foot drop 15 times in two days. During the helicopter stunt, the ropes on the suspension bridge became entangled with the copter's landing gear, and so as the helicopter rose, it threatened to seriously injure both actors. Footage of De Niro and Savage gesturing and yelling furiously to the crew in the helicopter to warn them is included in the film. The Viet Cong Russian roulette scenes were shot in real circumstances, with real rats and mosquitoes, as the three principals were tied up in bamboo cages erected along the River Kwai. In a scene where Savage gets thrown into a pit, he shouts, Michael, there's rats in here! Michael! Due to Savage having a real-life fear of rats, he was actually yelling at Chimino. Because of the genuine reaction, they kept it in the film. For the Russian roulette game, De Niro wanted a live cartridge to be in the gun. His co-star, Kazali, agreed, but understandably checked the gun carefully before each take to ensure the live round wouldn't be fired when the trigger was pulled. These scenes were reported to have influenced a number of people to play a Russian roulette, resulting in 28 deaths. The scene where Nick spits in Michael's face when they play each other at Russian roulette was improvised by Christopher Walken. Chimino convinced Walken to do this, and Nero was completely surprised as evidence by his reaction. In fact, De Niro was so furious about the unscripted improvisation that he almost quit the production. The Deer Hunter polarized audiences and critics when it was released, especially its climactic depiction of Russian roulette, which was not known to have been played by Vietnam soldiers. De Niro was so anxious about the movie's controversy that he didn't attend the Oscar ceremony, even though he was nominated for Best Actor. CBS paid $5 million for the exclusive network television broadcast rights for the movie. The network, along with NBC and ABC, later backed out when the content was deemed inappropriate. The movie made its television debut on election night, 1980, but not on any major network. Despite the film's turbulent history, The Deer Hunter would go on to win five Academy Awards, 
including Best Picture, Best Director for Michael Cimino, and Best Supporting Actor for Christopher Walken, and it marked Meryl Streep's first Academy Award nomination. In 1996, The Deer Hunter was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, and was named the 53rd greatest American movie of all time by American Film Institute in 2007. Thank you so much for listening to Side Talks. We are... You're supposed to pick up right there and finish it. We are... uh, Done. Done, With yes. this episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for um, subscribing to our podcast and maybe dropping a rate, rating and, and review on wherever you get this podcast. Apple Podcasts would be nice um, if that's where you get it. We're also on social media, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Sidewalk Film. Um, drop drop the Side Talks hashtag, too, in conversation if you want to get our attention. Is that the official lingo? Drop the hashtag? Drop that I'm hashtag. I'm into it. Drop that I don't know drop if that I don't know official anything. Well, anyway. We're I think drop that hash might have a slightly a different, different meaning. meaning. Yeah. Whoops. I, w- I wouldn't go Whoops. there. Whoops. Illegal. At least in the state of Alabama. So, yeah, so drop um, that hash, you know. <laughs> so drop it because it's not legal. Um, we are your own personal Dave Grohl and Kurt Cobain. Oh, Oof. Man. I know. R.I.P. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.